Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Today on Inspiring Women, we're speaking with Sarah Oramland, and Sarah is a social worker, but she's actually a leadership development consultant and executive coach. That's what she's doing now at YSC Consulting, which is a global leadership strategy firm working on workforce development. Previously, she's got a history doing sales management for software and services, so a really interesting background, um, as well as her certification as a social worker. She went to Bates College. She received her master's at the University of Chicago. And Sarah, I'm really excited to be speaking to you today. Same to you, Lori. It's really great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's get started. So I always like to start um, on Inspiring Women, getting oriented. What are you doing right now? So you're an executive coach. You work on leadership development. What is your day-to-day work um, look like? Yeah. So It's a great question. The simplest way that I like to put what I do to people who aren't in this world is I'm a business psychologist. So really, what does that mean? Um, You know, I do work for YSC Consulting. They're a a leadership consultancy who's been around for about 30 years. They were started in the UK by a small group of psychologists who really saw the need to bring more of what I would say is a psychological lens to working with leaders. And so what I do on a day-to-day basis is work with organizations to say, okay, how do we identify and develop the leaders that they need to achieve their business strategies? And that's both looking at presently, but also in the future. Um, So my day-to-day, it looks very different, Um, but it involves really anything from doing things like deep dive psychological assessments on leaders for both selection and development purposes. So if a if a company is hiring a new CFO, we will um, really understand what are they like as a leader? How have they showed up? How, what is their self-awareness? How do they influence people? It's, um, it's a really in-depth conversation. We also do, and I also do CEO succession work, board effectiveness work, some diversity and inclusion work now. And I would say as a whole, it's really about getting the chance to work with leaders, teams, and individuals to imagine new possibilities for current challenges, understanding what are the drivers of change, building alignment, and strengthening commitment to the business cause. And so I love what I do. My role, my role. It sounds like it, Sarah. You know, what I'm really interested in is, so I just came back literally from a pretty significant, large technology conference. So a lot of companies out there, a lot of uh, venture-backed, PE-backed companies. And um, in terms of all the dollars that are flowing through healthcare and healthcare technology, um, organizations 
always look to leadership teams in terms of, you know, where the real opportunity is for driving success or not necessarily potentially at a company. So assessing leaders, developing leaders, critical, critical function in the area of business. But what let's just, before we dive into leadership, tell me about you. Like, how did you get here? You know, you started in social work, you did work in sales, and now you're an executive coach. So how did that pathway happen? Yeah. Um, so it's it's been, what I would say, it's been a nonlinear path when you look at my resume, but hopefully when I explain it, it starts to make sense. And usually that's what happens. And so, you know, I graduated college and I thought, what do I want to do with my life? I was not somebody who knew from a very young age what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I always knew I had an interest in people. I had an interest in human behavior. I had an interest in the mind. I had an interest in relationship building, but I didn't know how that was gonna play out or even if that was gonna be a career path. And so I started my career in sales and sales management, working for, like you said, two different software as a service companies. What I found was I was successful at the business development aspect, but what really motivated me was Um, Not so much the selling itself, but managing a team of people who, um, many of whom were actually just starting their career themselves. And what I loved about that was understanding, okay, what what makes you tick? What gets you up in the morning? What do you want to do with your life in the next, you know, three to five years? And then I was also interested in what's the psychology behind the buying decision? So why do buyers buy? And so that led me down a path of, really thinking about, okay, wanting to go into the realm of psychology. And I, you know, went back and forth between, do I get my PhD in clinical psych? Do I go to school for um, industrial organizational psychology? Do I get my social work degree? Anyways, I landed on a program at University of Chicago that focused not only on the individual, but on the systems at play. So both taking a micro and macro lens, which really is what I wanted um, out of a program. I knew I needed the kind of direct practice clinical work. And so that's kind of the route or um, path that I took, but I knew it was, there's so much more to the picture here around how does, you know, government interventions play into this? How do hospital systems work to support um, the mentally ill and so on? And so while in grad school, I worked with really interesting populations. You know, one of one of which was I was working in an inpatient adult psychiatric unit here in Chicago. And really there is where I saw, okay, what happens when the brain is really sick? And what happens when everything in life is really against a person? And so we we saw people when they were in crisis. And it was a fascinating journey for me to learn not only about, you know, various diagnoses and medications, but also how does the hospital system as a whole work to help support the individual in times of their greatest need? I think, Sarah, as you're talking about this, it really does sound like a nonlinear path. And I would also, you know, just say as a parent with, uh, with, you know, 20 somethings, that it also sounds a bit like just bumping around, not really sure where you want to land, which I actually think, you know, quite frankly, if you have those opportunities, Mm -hmm. it's fantastic at a young age to explore a bunch of different things before locking in and landing on, you know, a certain pathway. 
way. If, I mean, if you don't already know, those are really tremendous opportunities and um, enlightening experiences. What, what was your aha moment that the coaching and leadership development really clicked for you and you felt like, okay, this is something I could actually actually do and be impactful in? Yeah, so um, it was after graduate school. So I actually got straight into consulting right after graduate school. I actually, in, in graduate school, and again, this sounds like kind of a, a bump around, which I think in many ways was true. I was trying to figure it out, right? And I knew I missed the business world, um, but I knew I wanted to somehow combine psychology and sort of commercial lens into one. And so I started working with sales leaders and their teams to understand, okay, what does good look like in different sales roles? And what I started to notice was, you know, the aha moment was probably about eight years ago. And um, it wasn't so much that leaders were coming to me to say, okay, how do you define what a good account executive looks like or a good outside sales representatives? But leaders started to ask me for, I, I guess, my counsel on more team dynamics, how to create an inclusive team, how to deal with work-life balance and their own sustainability, how to plan in one case, plan for retirement and identify um, the shift that comes with that. And what I noticed was that it didn't really matter that I was 20, 30, actually sometimes 40 years junior to some of these leaders. What they actually needed was a coach, someone who would actively listen, someone who, who asked thoughtful, open-ended questions, someone to kind of help connect the dots for them or with them rather and help define what is their leadership purpose. And the good news is I looked forward to those conversations more than any of the conversations I was having. Um, and so that's when it really clicked is I could potentially make a career out of this. Yeah, and it also sounds like you people would come to you, but that means that they probably had comfort with you, trust in you, and also what you were telling them was probably insightful or gave them a new piece of information or something to think about. I liked your term of business psychologist in terms of what you're doing in executive coaching. So I want to move to, to that a bit and, and leadership development. You know, first of all, who needs it? You know, at what stage in, in someone's career do you actually need executive coaching or leadership development beyond um, what you're doing in your day-to-day -day job? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. The typical consultant answer is, is it really depends, which, you know, in the <laughs> yeah. give us, give us the non good yes. consultant answer. <laughs> um, but it depends really on where the leader's at in their career, the organization's openness to involving a coach in their leadership development practices. But really the biggest thing is the leader's openness themselves to working on their own personal and professional development. Um, I truly think everyone can benefit. Every leader could benefit in some way from coaching. Where I see the biggest impact though is when a leader there's a, there's a level of self-awareness where they say, okay, I could use a thought partner on this. I could use somebody to help me get to answers that I may not have or that questions that I might not even be thinking about. And so, you know, at YIC, we take a really time-bound framework to focus on what the individual needs at each at each stage of their of their career and craft what I would say is like a, a bespoke coaching program and development plan. And so 
leadership or executive coaching, it can range from transition coaching for people who are either promoted into or um, starting in a, a new executive role. Um, we do maternity and paternity leave coaching, which has been really interesting. I actually went through that myself when what, I was what going is out that? on maternity leave. Yeah, so it's for individuals who are on a journey towards parenthood. And so what it looked like for me, and I was so thankful to, to go through this myself. I started at YSC when I was 12 weeks pregnant um, with my first child. And as a new mom or soon to be mom, I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I just started a new job. I don't know how to take care of a baby. So I, I, I linked up with actually a YSC coach who happened to be a mother herself. Um, not to say that you would need to have that experience as a, as a parent, but what it looks like is um, really thinking about what are the resources and support you need um, or you have currently to help you prepare for a maternity leave. What is the, um, how, much, how much interaction do you want to have with your manager, your team, your organization when you're out? And then how do you start to think about transitioning back? And so we would meet about once or twice a month and talk about my worries, talk about what I'm excited about, talk about the unknowns. And at that point, because I was working with a coach who was a mom herself, she was actually able to pull herself into some of those conversations in an advice kind of manner. It, that also sounds like a retention strategy for companies. Yeah. That's, that's a news to me that there's for sure. consulting for that. And that's, that's very, very interesting. And there are so many reasons that we see people leaving um, the workforce or changing out of the workforce that's happening at higher and higher rates. So that just sounds like a, um, it sounds like a good program, but also a retention kind of strategy for companies. Very interesting. Sarah, what do you think about in terms of executive coaching versus, versus mentors? On Inspiring Women, we always talk about mentors and mentor networks. When, when do, do I need a coach versus just a mentor or a sponsor? How would you yeah. answer that? Um, so I think that there can be some overlap here where your coach could be a mentor and your mentor could be a coach. Where I see the difference is though, mentors tend to be people that are personally invested in your growth, where you've either had a past relationship with them, where they're in the same line of business, they don't have to be where they know you on a deeper level from likely the, the start of the, you know, the, the start of the mentorship. Executive coaches, we don't need to know much about the leader before the relationship starts. That's when, that's how and when the relationship starts is creating what I would say is like a psychologically safe space for people to open up and for people to have honest conversations. And so while there's overlap, I do feel like coaching is also taking very much the commercial context of the business that the that the leader is in. Well, you know, Sarah, I, I will say, you know, I've 
personally, I've had executive coaches over the years. I've hired executive coaches for team members on my management team or teams. And I think it's highly valuable. I look to an executive coach for somebody who wants to, who has a job responsibility to get a particular leader to a next level. And that next level is performance and performance for the organization that they're working with. So the difference that I've always seen, the reason that I've been keen to make investments like that is really about company performance. And uh, the other thing that I like about it when companies do invest in leadership development, invest in executive coaching, is they are showing a commitment to an individual. And it's a very powerful one. I've never had anyone I've worked with who is receiving a benefit of coaching that hasn't thoroughly appreciated that opportunity. In terms of leadership development at companies and management teams, you've been doing this for a little bit now. So what makes a good leadership team? What makes a team click and what's dysfunctional and how do you correct for where you see dysfunction? Yeah. So I would say there's in our world at YSC, and I, and I agree with this model, is there's four key elements of successful team effectiveness. And one is purpose. So what that looks like is being motivated, being ambitious, being focused as a team where you have a common meaning. The second is clarity. So being we always say being operationally adult, what that means means is, you know, being operationally efficient, having clear accountabilities and knowing how to prioritize. And then cohesion is really around, okay, how do you think about yourselves as a united front? How do you show team spirit? And is there a unity that's kind of felt throughout? And then finally, we say there's there's got to be exchange. So basically the ability to respectfully challenge one another, to be open and to share views in a way that's really constructive. And that's giving in and taking in feedback. And, you know, I see dysfunctional teams when one of those things, if not more of those things is missing. And so I'm working with a leadership team now where um, they're newly formed. Um, there's some legacy members and there's some new members, but as a team as a whole, they're new and they're really trying to understand, okay, what is our purpose? How do we take ownership? How do we take responsibility for the things that we know need to happen strategically in the next, um, you know, three to five years and beyond? Um, and so we're doing a, a workshop around team purpose um, at the moment. And so purpose, clarity, cohesion, exchange, um, I would say make the, the teams that I see the most successful if they've got those four facets. And how do you make it impactful, Sarah? So you are, you're doing this, you've established trust, and in order to make an impact and change sort of the dynamics of a team, you've become um, an executive coach and a leadership development person. So why do people listen to you? How, how, how does that work? What did it, what makes you effective at what you're doing? I think it goes back to my goal is always to make people feel safe. And I, and I truly believe when people feel safe and feel like they can open up to me, that's when real truths come out. Um, that's when people start digging deeper than they may have ever before and saying, why am I the way that I am? Why is our team the way that it is? And so it's what I teach other or coach other leaders to do is how to create 
a psychologically safe space for other people such that you as a leader are creating the conditions where other other members of your team um, of your organization can thrive. Well, that and, and and establishing that sounds like something that you do up front in, in terms of your workshops. It, you also mentioned DEI work in terms, and so there are a lot of organizations that are focusing on DEI and just changing the complexion and the diversity across the different teams. Sometimes that's age, sometimes that that's um, race, ethnicity, gender, those kinds of things. Are those dynamics at play in these workshops um, as well? And if so, how how does that work? for you? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really important question to be asking. And I would say, even if we aren't doing a quote unquote DEI focused workshop, it's always in the backdrop or it's, we always take the lens of having a diverse and inclusive environment. Yeah, you know, I was just doing a workshop with a, a, a organization on resilience. And part of resilience is thinking about, okay, your support network. So how do you, how do you, it's not about bouncing back, but it's about pulling the right strings, the right triggers, the right support network in to be able to help you recover effectively. And even in that, we had a conversation around what does your support network look like? Are you going to the same people over and over again, or are you bridging to other people? And how are you creating both emotional and practical support for other people? And are you creating an inclusive environment where you're offering what the other person needs in terms of their support? And so DEI, it, it's huge now, right? And it needs to be. It's definitely manifesting in organizations now and capability building, but I'd even like to pivot it to talk about it as a talent imperative. So really in order to remain competitive for top talent, particularly millennials and Gen Z, it absolutely is essential that companies show a consistent, clear focus on the importance of DEI. And how do, how do they make sustained progress on public DEI commitments? So it, it's more so beyond the leader, beyond the team, it goes organizational wide. And, and, and how do you make those public statements known? I, I do think it's also a competitive advantage. You're either, you know, walking the talk or or you're not, and it's very visible. I agree with that, Sarah. What about other considerations? So in the pandemic has changed the, the landscape for workers in terms, you know, teams are remote or sometimes in person, sometimes um, not in person. How does that change the team dynamics and how, uh, you know, what are you seeing in terms of best examples of high performance in these mixed environments? Yeah, I, I have a lot of conversation about hybrid, hybrid or back to work um, plans and companies are definitely now paying attention to employee wellness. That's a, that's a big kind of hot topic, I would say, around my coaching experiences now with leaders. And the other one is talent retention is, is a biggie. Since the job market is popping now, um, we're seeing that leaders and organizations are really investing in growth. They're investing in development and making really clear pathways to promotion clearer. And so the, the organizations that are doing that well and understanding the world doesn't look like it did before, and it's never going to. We are in a new world in so many ways. And having conversations about how that impacts teams, but how that impacts the individual um, everyone's lives are so different. And so it's important to have open and honest conversations about 
what does your life look like now and what do you need from me as your leader and what do you need from the organization? Yeah, those are those are great points to focus on, Sarah. And I, I agree with you. There is there is a need for organizations to really focus on keeping their talent um, and their top talent and continuing to develop them. This is really just a great conversation. There's so many things that we could talk about, Sarah. I would like to close out probably on, you know, just for women and women who are developing as leaders, just as you look at sort of the best leaders that you're working with, what are the tips or or just advice you might give to women specifically? specifically? Yeah. So a big one for me is knowing your strengths and knowing where you might think about self-development or professional development. There's tools out there that can certainly help with, you know, strengths finders and the Hogan assessment. But I want to acknowledge that leveraging your strengths and being open and self-aware about prioritizing self-development is where I see the most effective leadership focus happening. Um, and so there's ways of actually developing your emotional intelligence. And so what I, I'm seeing is leaders who work to refine this quality are actually more adaptive, they're more resilient, they're more accepting of feedback from others. So that's one big one. I would also say there, there's something around being inspirational. Um, so embodying impactful and inspirational leadership and making the organization's vision tangible and clear so that others can understand and align behind shared goals. And I would also say there's, there's something around role modeling inclusiveness. I mean, we talk about you know diversity, equity, and inclusion um, in conversation constantly today, but it's really championing the creation of an inclusive collaborative workforce and role modeling and valuing um, and leveraging diversity in multiple forms. Sarah, I think those are such great comments. Role, you know, being a role model yourself, as well as you know, just being inspirational, having energy, and bringing that to your leadership approach. This has just been a terrific conversation on inspiring women with Sarah Armland and Sarah. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Lori. It's been a pleasure. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.